Welcome to Kyle and Dave versus the Machine. My name is Kyle. Yeah, and I'm I'm pretty upset, conflicted, oh. stressed out. And I'm the machine. You have to look for the vase, Dave. Look for the vase. A podcast where a sentient machine is forcing us each season to watch movies from a specific year in order to prevent it from starting the apocalypse. The machine still trends our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to, although we tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today, we're going to be watching the film Blind Spotting. What is this? Oh, oh, oh this. hey, hey, I, I would like to get out. Look at this. I'm better one in the glove, though. Yeah. I, I ain't trying to go back to jail. $200 Please let for me Collins. Out. Not Collins' gun. Very nice. Oh, I just got an Uber pickup. You got it. Is this an Uber? Hell yeah. Tell him to slow down. No, you can't catch me. I'm on too fast on the gas. Don't chase me. Put him up like this, you guys. I'm a tough guy. I'm a tough guy. 3 a.m. Do me a favor. I got three days left on this probation. When you got that gun on you, just don't tell me about it. Plausible deniability. Oh, do you mean this gun? Get out. <laughs> Good night, Colin. Yo, bro. Stop! Well, Dave, you know, we're uh, in the doldrums of summer here, I guess. We just had our solstice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And uh, we've been dealing with this like weird, like VR world thing in our deep and rich fiction. You know, people come to us often to listen to our discussions about Mm -hmm. racism and how to solve it. Well, you know, if there's an authority on the uh, African-American experience in the United States, it's uh, two guys in Canada Mm -hmm. who are not black. Yeah, that's going to work out really well. My privilege says that I should be able to talk about anything, Dave. (laughs) Well, nobody's nobody's surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think there's been some weird, weird, so people come to us for that, but they also come to hear this deep and rich fiction that we provided them each and every week. And uh, I think there's just some weird glitches going on, planes that are flying upside down when I look outside. That's more than weird. Yeah. All right. Uh Uh-huh. I don't have a window. Cats and dogs living in the streets. It's pandemonium out there, Dave. That's where they live. I don't (laughs) What part of that is weird? What's the, what's the... God damn it. There's the <laughs> Ghostbusters quote. <laughs> yeah. Getting along. Yeah. I think it's a weirder. Uh, it was the 80s. Everything's different. Everything's mm-hmm. changed. Everything's changed. How's it? How's it weird for you? Uh, yeah, it, it's it's weird in this box. I see nothing. And yet I feel everything. There's just this nascent paranoia that nothing is going right. Mm. That's so depressing. I believe that's what they call life. Life. <laughs> Midlife. <laughs> Everything is wrong. Well, I'm sure I'm sure something will change. So, Dave, we are talking about this film called Blind Spotting, which I, my guess is that the vast, vast majority of people have never even heard of. That's my my suspicion out there no, at the very least. Not me. Mm-hmm. But do you have anything to say about this or is this like totally uh, you're going in? Blind, you might blind. say. I'm spotting blind. No, I got nothing. I never heard of it other than you uh, talking about how you're, it's, you're so cool for knowing about it. <laughs> and every time we meet, you're like, oh, you know what's cool? Blind, blind spotting's cool. And anyone who hasn't heard of this movie is not as cool as me. Direct quote, mm-hmm. Kyle Marshall, 
Uh, TM, TM. Uh, so yes, this is a movie that I only tangentially had heard about in 2018. I did not watch this in 2018. I want to be totally upfront by that. I'd be surprised if this had a theatrical release. It did, but I think it was one of those things where it played for like a week in New York and LA. Like it, it was not a huge wide release. I think I did try and see if there were any showings in Calgary. Regardless, I think I saw this for the first time in 20... 20 or 2021, one of those things. I was, <laughs> weirdly enough, what my friend used to do is he would rent out this huge, what he called the barn, um, but it was a big Airbnb out in BC. And it actually was a converted horse barn, so you stayed up in the top loft. That's, but like, that's why Kyle felt comfortable. Just a right. faint wisp of manure. If I can smell horse sweat, then I'm <laughs> home. <laughs> and, um, it, you know, it's the normal, like, weekend of debauchery that uh, 30-somethings <laughs> like to have every so often. What except for me, because I go to bed at 10 p.m. <laughs> and so I still go to bed at 10 p.m. even when I'm, quote-unquote, having fun. This is all to say that everybody else, because they stay up late, uh, doing illicit materials. Like reading far-right newspapers? Like no, I mean like <laughs> doing drugs and drinking. I'm in bed sleeping. That's what I'm like doing. Like ball <laughs> with their weak hand. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, so what I would do, because I still wake up at like 6 or 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> so I'm going up, I'm making my coffee, and then I would usually watch a movie because nobody else would be up until like noon. So it was just like just me. <laughs> Which, to be frank... I kind of like, I kind of like having my alone time, just puttering around doing stuff in the morning. That's, that's what I'm I like. Tr- to I'm do. trying to decide what the difference between your regular life and your vacation life is. <laughs> it's it's very little. minimal. I'm wearing shorts, <laughs> basically. That's the difference. Which I do not do at home. Uh, no shorts. No shorts allowed. It's, if it's not pressed, I'm not wearing it. The fr- it has a, a, a single crease that I make in, in, in the front of the shorts. I plead. Give me a pleat. It's so impressive that you've proved to be even more of a loser than I thought you were. Uh, so anyways, the first time I watched this movie was me enjoying a coffee early in the morning, watching the sunrise in BC. This was and, your sunrise movie. Yeah, having an, an emotional moment. How did the rest of your day go? Okay, yeah. Because um, I, I said this last week, I love this movie. I think this movie is great. I think it, uh, and we'll get into why. I think that uh, when we had that discussion. Sorry, is it your internet or my internet? You are glitchy today. Oh, it probably is my internet is what I'm going to guess. Just running off the Wi-Fi now? Yeah. Okay. You need a dongle, Kyle. Yeah. You need to dongle Do a direct it. dongle in. <laughs> When's the last time you put your dongle in, Dave? I'm dongling all over the place because even my iMac does not have enough holes. I was told that on Grinder the other day. <laughs> um, You've only got three? I guess the only other thing to ask is, do you have any relationship with the two leads of this movie? David Diggs, yes. Yep. Um, I only recently found out how famous or popular it was because of Broadway, but my introduction to him was when they tried to make... Uh, uh, what's that? Snowpiercer? Chris Evans. Yeah, Snowpiercer TV show. And he was great in that. Mm-hmm. But the show, like the movie, does not have enough legs. So I didn't, I don't know if well, I finished it's the first it's on tracks, season. Dave. Come on. <laughs> uh, and then he appeared in something else which I liked him in. And then I found out all about the Hamilton stuff. So Yeah, uh, that's basically where I was first introduced to him. But I mean, obviously that's the big cultural touchstone I'm going to say for most people is they know him from Hamilton. for sure. He was in... I don't know. I, I, I always just do the short end rap group, but that's probably not what you would call it. 
anyways, spoken word type oh, okay. music. So this band called Clipping, if anyone mm. wants to check it out, it's, it's I think, really great. Experimental <laughs> Theater, he did a bunch of stuff there before doing the whole Hamilton thing. And now he disappears on a bunch of TV shows. I looked at yeah. his like, IMDb, it's like, yeah, he's in everything. How about uh, Raphael Castle? Yeah, Casal, yeah. maybe? Raphael Casal? Is that the friend? Yeah, the white guy. No, I never heard of him. Probably less popular, at least for us here in Canada. He apparently was like huge in poetry slams, like in that kind of niche. Everything. Okay. Like he won a couple of them. He was like an international youth speaker. Like he would go around cool. to a bunch of conferences and speak to young people. He's got the gift gab. Yeah, that's, yeah. yes, that is for sure. Yeah. In a particular niche, he's like super well-known. Mm -hmm. And then to the rest of everyone else, it's like, I, I don't know who this person is. Yeah. Well, that is our background of this movie. That's this episode. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> no, uh, I'm excited to check this out. So let's uh, do that. Let's get into our discussion about blind spotting. You are a convicted felon. Mr. Hoskins, you are now that until proven otherwise. No. Prove otherwise at all times. Not enough. Stop! Don't shoot, don't shoot! <laughs> are you with me now? You know, you don't have to act ghetto to hang out here. Can you hear me now? You need to get rid of Miles. Miles, this is my best friend. He's gonna put you back in jail or he's gonna get you killed. Miles! <laughs> Don't make me write you up for your last week. The judge will extend your time here a year. That is the life we live in, and it's been since the beginning, and you know we stuck in that soil, loyal. Don't be who you is! So Dave, I guess we should think of a scenario here of some kind. Oh, man. Let's say that I've come to your house and I'm showing you some ink blots, right? Just throwing them up here. It's like, what do you see? What do you see? Racism. And you're seeing racism, <laughs> ra racism, the man, racism. <laughs> While Michael Jackson's Black or White is playing in the background. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and then right after that, Ebony and Ivory starts to play. It's a really eclectic <laughs> playlist. <that's laughs> and uh, finally, oh, at the very end, it's actually just a, a JPEG image of the DVD copy of Blind Spotting, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I ask you, wait, this isn't supposed to be in here, but what's this movie about? How would you describe what this movie is about? Uh, from a plot perspective, and the main character, I don't even remember their names, main character has three days left on his probation mm -hmm. and must try to play cool while his crazy best friend huh? pulls him back into the world of uh, doing no good, no good stuff. Being a no good Nick. I think that's the plot. That is not yeah, what this no, that's, about. I think, but, I think that's yeah. pretty, pretty dead on. So be your contrarian self, Dave. Why did you <laughs> hate this movie? <laughs> no, I didn't hate this movie. It's a very good movie. I just, uh, I would say it needs a bit of a trigger warning. Mm. Uh, this is not an easy film no. to finish. It's a very easy film to start because the pacing's great. And I was thinking how Kevin Smith, the first 10 minutes is, it's like oh, this sure. quick repartee, like people just making funny offhand jokes, really silly visuals that are based on sort of like rap level, rap video level, hip hop culture, whatever, urban culture in Oakland. I love the, well... I love the idea of the opening title sequence juxtaposing images, although yeah, just uh, when they stop, yeah, when they stop 
making it directly gentrification and some of the images are actually the same scene i started i thought i felt like it missed missed a little bit like i lost some of its uh direct energy its pace is written well and i think where it turns like the moment we have the police so spoiler alert because nobody's seen this movie before this film is not about a guy trying to stay out of prison i mean it is underneath but this is really like an essay mm -hmm. on race relations in america and a catalytic point at the beginning is a police shooting and uh, after that i mean it just all hell breaks loose and it's very philosophical and political and the twist at the end you know just this deeper self-reflection which is something i've always wondered about is the difficulty of urban and black people on their uh, self-image you know, it's like, it's not just this thing we read in the news about white people subjugating black people, whatever. Nothing is that simple. There's a problem with uh, both cultures within themselves. You know, what does it mean for a white person to be white? What does it mean when a white person is raised black? What does it mean for a black person to be black? What does it mean for a black person to break that mold and fight? You know, it's like, that's all in there. So by the end of the film, <laughs> I'm stressed. Mm. It's violent. It's cruel, right? And then it tries to do a comedic point at the end. It wasn't sufficient for me to walk out of this film like, okay, I learned something. I was more like, I was sweating. I had to like go and do so. I couldn't go to bed. I tried to watch this just before I was going to go sleep and I, I uh, was edgy, man. <laughs> yeah, and I think I agree with you for like 99% of what you just said here. I think what this movie does supremely well is, it, is that it does start off feeling like it's this kind of jokey hangout Bloody movie. Comedy. And as yeah. soon as those gunshots fire, it's like, oh no, this is a very different movie i think it makes it more effective in a way to be like no oh, we're, yeah. we're shattering this like facade of this being a jokey movie we're gonna now dig in a little bit deeper i think what i appreciate the most is that this is a pretty complicated film you do have to wrangle your feelings with it you know we talked about black Klansmen this season earlier this year and i think both of us felt i mean you more so were more critical of it but even i think that that stays pretty surface level as far as it's like race relation discussion goes and this has i think a much deeper point is trying to make and a much more complicated point is that it's actually where you grow up actually has a lot to say about you as a person. Just because you are white does not mean that you don't know what it's like to struggle or see the gentrification. I think that's the interesting part about this movie. Uh, that scene where the David Diggs character yells at him, it's like, you are an N-word for, for lack of a better descriptor of it. Like you understand the struggle of being poor and being raised here in Oakland specifically. You and I were raised together. We were friends growing up. Like you understand this, but people look at you and you get away with things because of your skin color. Like that is your privilege. And I think that that's an interesting discussion to be had. I also think that the cop character is an interesting exploration. Um, I think that was the biggest thing you had again about Black Klansmen is that they never allowed there to be any humanity towards the uh and the aggressors in that yeah. and this i mean it doesn't go like super super into the cop but at the same time i think you see that like this has been weighing on this guy him killing a man actually does weigh on him but there's that extra twist of the knife it's like i didn't mean to and he's like are you sure about that is that just the story you're making up because the big comparison point i have that seemingly made mo the most sense this this rewatch this is the third time i've seen this film now is the that first shooting that we see the man yells don't shoot don't shoot they get shot in the back four times versus when the friend's son 
like throws his arms up and says, don't shoot, don't shoot. And it's like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> this doesn't work. What people are being told to do out there in the streets to save themselves from being shot isn't actually working. And I've seen that firsthand. Anyways, this is, that's not even all the stuff that I think this movie is is uh, trying to deal with. And it's all doing it in 90 minutes. So it's like, there's a lot of stuff that it's trying to put into this movie. Yeah, it's tension. I mean, I... I think I think one of the, there's an old term that I grew up with, which is like fronting. And I think sure. when you're talking about that conversation, I don't think David Diggs' character is telling his friend that he understands it. I think it's the mm. opposite. I think he's telling him that he's been playing at being a black guy from Oakland, but he'll never understand what it's like to walk out and be black. Yeah. And so yeah, he no, that's a good point. is putting on a show. He wears the grill, he talks shit, uh, but if you notice, like, he is the most angry of the gentrification. He's the yes. only one who's upset, right? I mean, as much as the, the town is upset they're losing their place to live uh, affordably, he's the one that becomes sort of this uh, pariah, not a messiah, whatever, like this focal point of mm -hmm. anger. And in that scene where he beats the shit out of that uh, black guy in the kitchen, I think that's the culmination of all that that problematic idea of like what it means to be authentic what does it mean to be raised in a ghetto right it's like pretty weird i agree with you but uh i think there's two levels that are being played at i think you're right i think that he is fronting a lot of his like personality and is this again how everything is pro wrestling like you do a character long enough and then you just totally become that character Macho whether man. Yeah. that's you or not but i think he is annoyed by people just assuming that he is also one of the gentrifiers so it's like no 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 like i grew up here like i do know how this area has changed over time and you just assume that i'm one of those same white people moving in and doing this you know what? i think there is that level there too it's like it doesn't happen it only happens in the party Mm -hmm. And I think what's interesting for me anyways, because I haven't watched this several times, so my read my read is that he's that upset because he knows he's lying about it. Mm. You know, I mean, at least in my experience, uh, the well, things think, that we- I think it is also tied to the fact that, this is stated plainly, like, he is so lucky that he does not go to jail as well. Like, I think he is a little bit frustrated by that fact as well. Like, he feels bad that his best friend went to jail when it really should have been him in the first place. Well, or at least both or of them. Or at least go uh, along with him. Yeah. I, you know, that, and that was another gut punch when they get to the part where they actually review it. So the whole time you're on this hope that, I mean, it's a sick hope, but you're in this hope that uh, the black lead was uh, sent to prison wrongly right but then when they but show it's like no he should be in prison yeah like they fucking they almost killed the dude mm -hmm. because he has this rage issue which they don't interestingly they don't tie it to racism it's just part of his character which i, I actually like and it's actually yeah it is his friend that instigates it but they both beat sure. the shit out of this guy and then the fire <laughs> him the, the victim being lit on fire yeah, is yeah. this accident that story is banana must be based on a real story because it's Maybe. just so, so far-fetched right yeah and this way like when you finish it it's so tense because yeah. it's hard to know what you're supposed to think i i know i think that's what i just love about this movie that it is that complexity it, it yeah. is supposed to i think engender this type of conversation amongst people it's like we're not going to give you any easy answers like it would be yeah. so easy for this film to be like yep he was unjustifiably sent to prison don't you feel bad for him it's much more hard to like spend half of a movie being like i, I like this guy at least i do this is kind of a great uh, person great character and like oh shit like no you, you you really went overboard here like this is this is not cool and simultaneously it's like should you not be able to move on with your life like you know can you be forgiven can you be rehabilitated into society should that not be a chance that someone is given See, this is 
you know, so I was just in Vancouver putting on this event, you know, I think, I don't know, I read this a little bit, the way you're interpreting this movie, there's this position lately, it's not privilege, it's almost like white guilt, like, he's the one holding himself back Mm -hmm. in this film. It's not society, you know, he's given every opportunity, you know, even in this probationary house, it's pointed that he doesn't do any of the chores, he tries to get around his curfew, he does all the things he's not allowed to do, and just tries to hide it. So, he has not changed who he is at all, in spite of the fact that we learn he actually committed the crime. And as we go along with uh, everything his girl ex-girlfriend talks about, I think she's this voice that you don't have to sell out, but you do need to kind of find a way to fit in, because sure. otherwise you're just going to go back to prison. And whether that's right or wrong is never actually weighed in this conversation. And everything I did in Vancouver this last week, there's this tone that if you're not indigenous or a person of color, you have to start every conversation with a fucking apology. (laughs) And then what happens is you don't know how to ask correct questions anymore because, you know, you're always on the back foot. And I I worry about that, you know? It's, It's just interesting. Like, this film does that. It challenges you to consider so many biases. (laughs) Like, Mm. it gives you details and facts. It gives you their experience of them. It gives all the twisted interpretations, even within the characters. Like, in 90 minutes, everybody's character is completely ruined by the end. It's it's fascinating. You know, Mm. whoever they appear at the beginning is not who they are after 90 minutes. It's genius writing. Like, it's... This Mm. script is... uh, I don't know if it's a playwright. You'll let me know. But this is this is a thinker. This is not a Hollywood script. This way. Well, I, I can say right now, it, it's written by Debbie Diggs and Raphael Cassell. Like they wrote ah, this cool. together, uh, yeah. based on some things in their past life. Yeah, like, I don't think they from themselves went through this, but experiences. That, that you know, that seen. would exper- that would explain. Uh, not that they're good, uh, bad actors, but you know, there are moments in this where it's so real. Like you know, they're still actors. It's not quite. Mm-hmm. you know, cinema verity or whatever. They're not mm-hmm. just people thrown in. Like, they're, they're professional actors and performers. But yeah, some of those scenes are so raw. So that makes sense. If they're drawing from, you know, their personal attention, that totally plays because it's it's gut wrench. Helen left. She made it yeah. about 40 minutes. She's like, I can't watch the rest of this. And I'm like, you need the resolution. And then when I came to bed, I'm like, you left at the right time. Because it just gets worse. I guess like, so. I uh, don't know. It's a good movie, but it gets more and more stressful. I'm not saying that it, like, I feel, I don't know. I don't even know what the right word is. It's not like I finished this movie. I'm like, boy, what a, I feel so good about myself now. No, of course not. Yeah. But I think it just is hitting me in such an intellectual way that I'm so compelled. Again, I like the characters and I think, I, res- I guess I respect the movie that at the end, yeah, I guess it does wrap up in, like, you called it like a jokey way. But talk about fronting. I mean, like, that's kind of how I read that movie. It's like, we have to make this joking now or else we cannot live in this mentality yes any longer like we have to kind of get back into some in some some rhythm because we just had an awful day <laughs> like we just had an awful awful day that's like my everyday listening to you too david dick's character the redeeming part is that crazy rap soliloquy mm. confrontation with the cop and uh i mean that's something and not descending into i don't know i mean it's violent but not killing the guy is an act of redemption but they put it correctly that there's so much tension in that too it's not like he walks away as the white knight or whatever the correct phrase is like he's tortured by it as well because he had to confront something and that doesn't have a resolution right now in that culture because even you know when an african-american person in the united states quote unquote does the right thing it does not absolve them from being 
treated like a, an other the next mm-hmm. day, right? So, well, I think that's the other thing. It's, it's a very quick line in that rap soliloquy uh, at the end. Cops who were patrolling in in America, all this probably Canada too. I don't know, but uh, in America specifically, cops are not patrolling their own neighborhoods. They are yeah. coming from outside and then patrolling those neighborhoods. And so there is and always that outside it. othering uh, effect yeah. that happens. You know, we see this here in Canada with indigenous people or drug addicts or the homeless. Uh, You're coached into fear because Mm. even in the training and the pure culture, you'll be inundated with anecdotal studies and experiences of who they've been arresting and who's Mm -hmm. been violent and who's resisted without sort of historical context. It doesn't really exist. I mean, it, it can exist for a historical researcher, but as an individual, if you walk into training and they're like, you know, every time I arrest someone of this color, they put up a fight, then you're expecting it, right? And then you read the news, it's like, they only report news of a young black guy getting shot because he's holding a gun. Nobody looks deeper into that. And this movie pokes at it, like when the white guy buys a gun and David Diggs is like, why the fuck are you buying a gun? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Again, it's this fronting idea that you need to have one to be hood when nobody in the hood actually has one except for the Uber driver who's selling them. So... (laughs) It's it's a fascinating thing, but uh, yeah, you're coming with me on Friday. We're gonna watch No Visible Trauma. Right. This is in that too, except it's much harder because it's too real. Cause all no, I get it's it. Action, but they don't vilify police officers. They do a little bit, but they're like individual psychopaths, man. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's such a gross issue. Yeah, I. I, uh, I mean, okay. Well, there's two two things then. One, do you think this film vilifies police officers or just the police officer? So I think that Neither. is I, th- I think this I think there's a critique on culture. Like that's what it's so hard to swallow. It's like cu- capital C culture, not black crime. I mean that's in there because that's part of American culture and not police officer because they don't have a police bre- beating. This is not Rodney King with like mm-hmm. eight cops beating the shit out of a defenseless man on the street. This is a high stress incident and even when the cop sees that he's been witnessed, he doesn't shoot David Diggs or arrest right. him. Yeah, yeah. He's panicked because like it's all there. And then adding, you know, the ghetto culture and uh, and fast talking to make a buck and just all that sweat and it's like... I love that scene where he sells the boat. I think it's so funny. The boat is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I had the subtitles on, so I was like, I know, it still like, doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense. Like, what did he say? Like, I have no idea, but I sold him a boat. <laughs> so it's all it's all in there, which is so ambitious. It's like, well, it's really taking a picture of America in general, or at least urban America in general. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, it's hard to chew on. Well, the second question is this. You, you have not seen Do the Right Thing, correct? No. It's too bad, because I really want to do a comparison to Do the Right Thing in this all case. Right, because. Actually. There's been, there was a few prominent black critics who said that. It's like, this is very much the updated version of Do the Right Thing from 1989. Very different plot line that's going through, but trying to deal with some of those other hard things, white and black relations, police violence. And I had the bold claim, I was going to say, I think it actually uh, uh, ultimately does this better than what Do the Right Thing does. I mean, it's 20 What's or more 30 contemporary years Contemporary language, later, I would but, expect. Yeah. 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 The language has changed visually. Also a movie I very much love, like I love Do the Right Thing, but it's just, uh, it's an interesting comparison point, I think, of uh, how the culture has changed in so many ways and yet very much stayed the same in in other areas. I wonder too, I mean, again, I haven't seen Do the Right Thing, but judging at least by his older film in Black Plainsman, you know, this film is, it's like so quick and compact. Mm-hmm. even like all of it is just smushed together without it being crowded, which is fascinating. That's why the script is so tight. Like, I, I can't even 
comprehend writing this. Because you, you've mentioned this now three times, can I just, I want to read to you one of my favorite reviews from Letterboxd about this movie. Okay. <laughs> this is written by Demi Adejuwebe, who is a, a writer and performer down in the States. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole review. I'll just read the last two points he makes. If you ask me, this not Black Klansman is 2018's Do the Right Thing. And at the 91st Academy Awards, the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay went to Green Book. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking so, crazy. Yeah. I know this one doesn't have the commercial appeal or the visibility, no. maybe even to make a ballot, right? But it, uh, it's just incomprehensible that this film... I'm just, I'm so curious. I mean, this is now me painting with a wide prejudicial brush, but like, how would people from the Midwest take this? You know, like I... I, I they wouldn't be able to comprehend the language. And they wouldn't. I mean, I think there's a there's access now to social media, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, and film. So it's not like if you grew up in rural Iowa or I don't know what what's yeah. a very isolated state that you won't know about these things, whether you're on one side or the other. But it's kind of like we talk about. We both of us have counter biases about storytelling, right? Like yeah. I can't start off in a small town unless the film is very philosophical, <laughs> and you have sometimes. This thing where it's too urban, then it just feels like really dry in our yeah. world. You know, it's like, it's just... Yes, yeah, as soon as I see from. an Asian person, it's like, nope, can't, can't do it. <laughs> Stop. But this thing's frenetic, so mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, if you're young and, you know, young people cross culture a lot just because they're inundated. So, you know, the young, the youth might still like it, but... I, I was going to kind of bring it up as, as far as, like, the visual language of this film. I actually love the way this film looks. I think it's no. captured beautifully. But also it's edited together very wow, YouTube crazy. video in yeah. many cases, in my opinion. Like I can yeah, see like the new opinions. type of editors like coming coming up through the ranks sort of thing inside this film. Well, this is why there's no editing in Hollywood blockbusters because they're mm. not picking up these, I'm presumably young guys or at least people mm. that are connected with modern viewing audiences. Like we just watched, we watched Top Gun Maverick again last night just because right. nobody could pick a film. Emerson was about to ask to watch the original. I'm like, we're not, you're not going <laughs> to like the original. It's not designed for a family, but it's also a, like a prototypical 80s blockbuster film. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, it's just a different You're not going to then go into his bedroom with a boombox like, da na 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 But, you know, like that visual language has changed for action. We saw this Mission Impossible. It's so high energy now. Everything's mm -hmm. got to be impactful. And like a YouTube, like these are not YouTube clip films, but they have a sensibility about the attention span of the modern audience. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, you got to state your point in the first five seconds of those people are turning off. Or off. Yeah, they're out. Uh, and so this is typical for that. But there's so many other movies, like every Marvel movie uh, for the last, 50, like, I don't know, 10 years now, they do not know how to do this anymore. Like, they have to belabor things, you know? And it's like, they have so much ego. They're like, well, we have to leave this part in there. You don't, because everybody stopped paying attention. Black Panther Wakanda Forever is like an exercise in this. That mm -hmm. movie is like an hour too long. And... This film. Are you telling me, Dave, that the, that Ant Man should not be two and a half hours long? Ant Man is like a thirty minute film. <laughs> no, it's like in everything in here could have been wrapped up in thirty minutes. This is a TV episode. It's shorter. It's shorter than a single Marvel episode. All Marvel shows are like an hour long, which mm -hmm. uh, like per episode, which is wrong. Anyways, we won't get into that too much, but that's why I want to see the script. How you can squeeze this much reflection, opinion? Yeah. That's Action. actually not a bad idea. We, I should see if Humor. I can source this script. This would probably be good oh, for man. us just to go through just and see like how do they get tight. like boom, 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 boom. 
through all this information. It'd be amazing to see like a chronological development. This like did the original script run for like four hours? Because <laughs> they, they're trying to do so many things and they just cut it down to this incredible piece. It should have been on, nominated. I, I, I've, I have heard some screeners say that like their first original pass is like, yeah, like this would be a four hour movie if we filmed this script. And I'm yeah. just, I needed it all in there just to get the thoughts out. And then you just like shrink, 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 Pair shrink, it, just yeah, keep what you shrink. need. Yeah. Why don't we do that for this show? I mean, we're learning that a little bit in our yeah. little screenwriting project. We're trying to build a film. It's like, it's way, it's way more work than we thought. Sometimes it's good to throw out the bad ideas. So you just don't keep thinking about them. It's like, oh no, that yeah. was a bad idea. That doesn't, that doesn't work. <laughs> well, okay. even when you think you've got it and then you reread it, you're like, no. Like, no. we got to go back. Something like this, I can't even imagine putting this much dense material into 90 pages. It's just genius. Mm -hmm. um, and because they wrote it, the acting's on point. Like, yeah. everybody's good in this. There isn't a single weak performance. And they needed the kid. I don't really understand the character of making him kind of like a tiny barbarian. There's no empathy mm -hmm. for the kid except for when he picks up that gun. And then it's just this primal fear because he, by then, the movie's so tense. Like, are they going to do it? Are they going to? have a kid yeah. die like this is that kind of film we're bordering on requiem for a dream at this point sure. it's starting to feel kinda, very surreal <laughs> i both love how it does feel so lived in like you go and see his parents for a little bit while well, his stepdad yes. and his mother oh did you turn off there because he was asian or yes i did actually i was like i can't watch <laughs> this anymore but no i uh but part of me was like i guess if you don't know they have now made this into a tv show oh that's been going on for two seasons but i only say that because there's certain scenes like man I would like to know more about like this like, dynamic. Expand like, that. Yeah, I it's supposed to, to be good. Um, I've heard mixed things actually, so yeah. I haven't I haven't dipped in. But it, it loses uh, a lot of this energy. It actually focuses on two. I could be wrong on this, but from what I understand, it focuses on two female friends in the show. Sure. Well, it's got to be Anyways. different, so why not? But the same. But they stay premise. on as producers, like they kind of oversee it. Still a involved. Bit. Anyways, I wanted to see more about his like uh, his half brother. <laughs> I think nah, he's yeah. such an interesting character. But. Do you think that's not? by birth they cast a full asian kid. yeah they did sure did but it was pretty funny mm -hmm. okay let's do some backstory here then so this movie apparently opened up on july 20th of 2018 listen to this difference in the different platforms dave because over on letterboxd this movie is rated a 4.1 so it's pretty high on letterboxd yep. but yep. on imdb it has a 7.4 mm. pretty mid over on letterboxd has a 77 mm -hmm. on Metacritic, and then on Rotten Tomatoes, from 179 critics, it has a 94%, and from 2,500 users, it has 87%. So basically, no one has watched this movie, is just yeah, basically yeah. Is what that means. Can get this on DVD and Blu-ray, uh, and is available to rent on both YouTube and iTunes. No idea what its budget was. Could not find any budget numbers for this. Uh, it did make $5 million. Mm. So... 0.1% of Venom is what this movie made. <laughs> I was just thinking about Venom. <laughs> Everything this year, it's like when we did Million Dollar Duck mm -hmm, and that mm -hmm. became the bar. This is like the counter example of mm -hmm. that. It's too much money. Now, so this probably was technically a bomb. I can't imagine they made this for under 5 million bucks, but maybe. Maybe. Because it's, it's produced well. I mean, there's a lot of moving pieces in it. It's not a handicam film. I mean, they got Newman in it so i mean he's coming with that million dollar price tag it's pretty funny this i wasn't sure where they were going with that character when he first appears and mm -hmm. i was like yeah maybe i works. think that he's also a fascinating character because they they even say it's like yeah your heart's in the right place but dude like yeah. you don't really know what you're yeah. what you're talking about well he's kind of an interesting like in hindsight 
it sounds like he also grew up there. He did, yeah. And that's so we get, yeah, this reflection of someone who isn't fronting. Mm-hmm. He's just doing his space and doing these portraits, which uh, actually do better in a, in a sense, more impactful work than uh, than what the other white dude's doing. Right, you know, owning a grill. Um, <laughs> and I think that's uh, it's yeah. If I watched the second time, I would I would watch that scene a little bit more carefully. I guess again, the writing, even including a character like that, is fucking genius. Mm-hmm. Wow, they're they're laying the traps right. It's. Mm. It's such a well, well-developed, uh, I'll tell you what shouldn't have won for script, Green Book. Green Book. <laughs> Green Book. Although they did solve racism. So. But he did write it about his father, Dave. So, <laughs> they did solve racism in that movie. Um, well, this one's just stirring the pot. Okay, right? so the plot description There's no this answer? One. Watch Green Book. Well, there's an answer. There's an answer. Just yeah. go on a car trip. So Let's his plot it. description is, while on probation, a man begins to reevaluate his relationship with his volatile best friend. Now it's time to play everyone's favorite game. Guess, Guess that, that, that tag. This is when I get to don a handsome blazer, use the big long microphone that Bob Barker used to use, and I make Dave play this game where I give him three options. One of these is the real tagline to this movie. Two of them completely made up by me. Much like if you went to the movie theater right now and saw that long row of posters, they have their little witticisms written on them, so you can be like, oh my gosh, need to see this movie because of this text that appears in such small font on this poster. Like Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny that's coming out this week, Dave, which I'm sure you're, you're jonesing for. Just, uh, what would the tagline for that be? Older, not better. Sometimes you just need to know when to give up. Get off my plane. Wait, wrong movie. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, you could say get off his plane, but P-L-A-N-E, because he's, you know, on a plane. Like a flat surface. Okay, Dave, here are your three options. Is it change the way you see? Is it what do you see? Or is it three? You can't unsee it. Uh, two? So you are guessing, what do you see? And you would no, be... No, what's the first one? Uh, change the way you see. Yeah, okay. So I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go two. Well, Dave, you would be incorrect. It's actually one. Change the way you see. So. Oh, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. This movie stars David Diggs as Colin, Raphael Cassell as Miles... Janina Gavonker as Val, and Ethan Embry as Officer Molina. Uh, cinematography is by Robbie Baumgartner. Now, the interesting thing about him is that even though he has done cinematography for other films, the top four films that he is credited as working on are not him as a cinematographer. It's just him working in the camera department. So his top four are Babel from 2006, mm-hmm. The Hunger okay. Games from 2012, There Will right. Be Blood from 2007, and Argo oh. from 2012. Bangers. Yeah, good films. Oh. This is written by Rafael Cassell and David Diggs, and then directed by Carlos Lopez Estrada. Dave, let's do this. There's not going to be an extensive write-up here, because there's not much written about this, but uh, 
Things began about 10 years before this film is released. So childhood wow. friends, Raphael Casal and David Diggs have this idea of a movie that celebrates Oakland in a way that they think has never been shown on film. In their opinion, their home is misunderstood by people on the outside and they're effectively nobodies at this point. And so nobody really wants to make this movie. But mm. you flash forward to like 2016, 2017. Diggs is popular due to Hamilton on Broadway, but he'd also been working in experimental theater, was the lead vocalist in the rap trio Clipping, and had already been cast in a few bit parts on TV shows. Casal was a winner of a few poetry slams, released a couple of mixtapes, and was a youth speaker across the United States. The timing was right for a producer to give them a little bit of money to make this film, Casal and Diggs served as producers, writers, and lead actors, but then they go over to Carlos Lopez Estrada to be director. This would be his first feature film as a director. He had done, done a couple of uh, small uh, short films at this point, but this is, uh, this is his first thing. And then, as you said, gets released, nobody sees it, and uh, people are finding it online. That's basically the history of this movie. Okay. <laughs> um, do you know what uh, Carlos Lopez Estrada has gone on to do? No. He co-directed uh, Raya and the Last Dragon. That was his like next oh, project yeah. after I this. I see that. Okay, yeah. It's funny. Uh, which is a really weird pivot, in my opinion, but that is uh, what he went off to do. And so he's been tapped to do the live action, that's in quotes, Disney Robin Hood. So the one with the fox, you oh, know, no. he's going to do the live action version of that. Just leave it alone, Disney. Just leave it alone. No, Dave, you need a hot fox. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, god damn it. Anything right. else you want to uh, talk about in regards to this movie? I don't know. Uh, I, I really liked when they introduced and how they discussed uh, whatever that visual psychological test was. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it is an interesting thing. Like, even what did you see first, Dave? Did you see the faces or the vase? I don't know. I always see both. Yeah. I'm trying to remember if I have an instinctual one or if I immediately just like, oh, well, it's two faces and a vase. You know, that kind of idiot. Also, that one is so overused because it's the simplest one that, you know, it's almost like I'm trained to show off that I can see both as opposed to having the first time you see it when those things are so impactful, right? Like there's a fish yeah, one yeah. and I don't know. So w what we should do is look at a fresh one and see if you and I see the same things. But uh, yeah, I also like how she leverages it at the end when they talk about how difficult it is to overcome your bias. And um, she, I think she does make the bold proclamation that most people will not be able to see the second image, which I think is wrong. Yeah, I, I thought, uh, neuro, is this the neuroplasticity? Does she talk about that directly or am I just... No, I think she does mention that, that yeah. yeah. So I don't know how it was in 2018, but if there's anything, right. uh, if there's a new perspective on that is that we have a greater plasticity, plasticity than we originally imagined. It's just a matter of inputting enough energy to uh, change your views. Other than that, I, I don't know. I... I kept imagining how that uber vehicle is probably real you know that might not have even been an actor that might have actually been an uber and you get a free gun out of it dave come on <laughs> uh yeah the boat scene is hilarious him selling anything when he's uh where's that woman from is she from martin anyways yes uh, yeah when when he brings the used the uh, curling irons so the flattening good. irons oh to the salon that that scene is that scene's good the wife or girlfriend or the his uh son's mother i can't remember if they're married or not but she's greg 
all the performances are great and they're uh, put together so intentionally. I love, you know, even the fact that David Diggs' mother was a civil rights activist was was a great little mm-hmm. push just to keep you grounded in that space. Um, it's a film that left me clenched up. I'm trying to decide in a good way, but whenever we get films like this and we talk about it, I mean, the fact that we keep calling it a film tells you everything you need to know about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I love it. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I have written down, I just wanted to briefly mention, just talking about the filmmaking, they do that, the Ant-Man thing of the guy fast talking and retelling the story. I mean, that's fun. I forget who that actor is, but he shows up in a bunch of things. Oh, uh, Michael Pena? Well, it's not Michael Pena in this movie, but it's like another actor who does the little fast talking thing. We're done here. All right. Well, the machine has said that we have solved racism, Dave. So we can, we can wrap Kyle, this up. Why is it that we get a challenging film and we're going to finish in 45 minutes and then we spend an hour and a half talking about Venom? Because uh, it made our blood boil, Dave. Made our blood <laughs> boil. I don't know. I mean, I think we've, we've, we've said, oh, the other thing I was going to mention, sorry, there is one other thing. I was going to say, uh, I love the fact that the, the, at the white guy's party, there's like, this is a real oak tree from Oakland, but don't put your glasses <laughs> down on it. It's like, that's oh, such a, that is such so a true layers. feeling thing that someone would do. <laughs> that part, uh, I was cringing because yes, it's too real. And, you know, just the hypocrisy of being uh, cool and then having killed old growth. It's yeah. just so, so North American. I connected that scene too because I spent last week with a documentary about elders protecting their land against mining in northern BC. And I got to walk through semi-old growth conservation areas in, in Vancouver. Like I didn't get to go see the big redwoods or anything, mm-hmm. but it just hit a little bit when that happened because <laughs> I was like, damn, I know we do cut this shit down for furniture. It's fucking weird, man. Oh, maybe I'll ask you this. You know, what is it that makes this better than Black Kleinsman? I think there's actually a few things. I think it's runtime is in the positive. Not that I think that every short movie is better than a long movie, but both you and I just felt that like it feels like it goes on a bit too long in Black Landsman. Yeah. And yeah. I think that the wrap up, like the the actual climax of that film is does a disservice to its message. It's very pointed and knows exactly how it's going to push your buttons. It has, I think, far more engrossing characters. And uh, I don't know, it just, it threads the needle here for me. As, as tough as it is, it is a movie I've returned to now three times willingly. Like I, I wanted to do it. Whereas I think Black Klansman, if someone put it on, sure, I'm going to watch it. But am I going to choose to watch it? Probably not, even though I do like that movie overall. So what, so the, the second time you watched it, I mean, yeah. this one we're watching for the podcast. Why did you turn it on the second time? Did you just decide you wanted to yeah, refresh a- your position on civil rights or was there, <laughs> you know, con- context? Because this is, I don't know, it's a hard film to watch. It is hard, but I don't know. I don't mind watching films that are hard to watch in quotes if, and this is like the big if, if I enjoy spending time with the characters. I think that is the do the right thing similarity mm-hmm. here as well, which is like, that's also like that movie gets in some pretty dark places, but... I do enjoy hanging out with those characters as like loose cannon as they are occasionally. Like there, there's something there that draws me in. Kind of like a good book that's uh, that has a hard-hitting message. It's like I can go back and, and glean something from it. So I uh, partly the second time I watched it is I wanted to watch it again. But also like, I'm making this like 40 favorite films since the time I was born list. And this does make the list. So I just wanted to verify where I wanted to place it. Oh, and uh, yeah. 
Now this is the third yeah, time I'm seeing it. I am finding myself inundated with all the streaming content and mm-hmm. the idea of like rewatching a film is difficult. Like we put on Top Gun Maverick, not because I was like, oh, I really want to watch Tom Cruise, but it's hard with the three of us needing different things to find mm-hmm. a central meeting point. You know, Emerson's not quite old enough to watch challenging films sure. and Helen doesn't like anything too violent. Oh, you didn't, you didn't put this on and watch this with your son, your eight-year-old son? <laughs> You know, there's so many films like this where you're like, he needs to see stuff like this, but I need this message to come in a palatable way. Yes. Because uh, he is becoming aware, and it is part of modern culture to be aware and more sensitive than I was growing up, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. So, in terms of neuroplasticity, you know, my 10-year-old self, my 16-year-old self, my 26-year-old self, my 36-year-old self would not uh, recognize my 45-year-old self. You know, it's like... We change a lot. At least I have. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is a fascinating idea uh, how to find this type of messaging in a more consumable way. I mean, uh, you know, we joke about it, but this totally white green book won all of those awards. It's not a good film and its message is diluted and it is written by a white person. But it's like people don't like being upset, Kyle. No, I mean, I I think that's the biggest uh, comparison point. Like Green Book is that palatable film that people, just just to throw them under the bus, but like people in the Midwest can put on and still enjoy and not feel feel like they're being overly challenged because like, well, I'm not that overtly racist. You know what I mean? It's a very different thing. I'm much more subtle in my hatred. Right, right. Well, (laughs) it's just different in this one where it's like, hey, everyone is kind of a shade of gray. Like you can like them and not like them yeah. and flip your allegiance and like throughout this entire entire thing like it really is trying to get you to engage in a much more nuanced way but yeah that's never going to play to 400 million dollars like it's just not unless this was 1971 and then somehow that happened but you know what i mean yeah it, it sucks too when films don't make money because it's not just the screenwriting i mean the acting everybody could be nominated in some category in this and you know it's it's just hard when the longer we do this podcast and watching all of these ignored films how uh even the idea of what makes a movie good evolves right it's i can't watch only movies like this all the time sometimes what the value of critics is is because they see so much stuff they can point you towards that lesser seen film so that's why i do mm-hmm. like reading like the end of year lists and see if there's anything that just has not entered my radar at all uh, but also i think this is why true like retrospectives of films need like five but probably mostly like a 10 years to be like okay this is really what has risen to the top this is what is still relevant is of like the flash in the pan stuff that people talk about because in my opinion it, as much as green book is a fun movie to uh, be the punchline of a joke i defy anyone to think that in 20 years anyone's going to care about that movie i'm pretty sure nobody like I, when we watched it i had forgotten about it right i didn't even realize that it won so many oscars i remember you know hearing loosely but mm-hmm. it's madness man so, yeah, so the machine said we have to wrap things up here. Yeah, that's me stretching time. Yeah. Um, we are going to go into <laughs> Critics' Choice, the part of the show where we discover what the critics thought at the time this film was released. So, I found a positive and a negative review. I'm going to read the positive one from Eamon Warman from Empire Magazine, who wrote, in part, by equal turns tense and witty, but with plenty of perceptive social commentary to go around. This is a film that only gets more rewarding the more you look under its surface. All right. And I get the hater, Alonzo Duralde. Let's assume that mm-hmm. the E has a shape. Uh, writing for The Wrap, 
Co-stars and co-writers David Diggs and Raphael Cazal have a lot to say, much of it funny and or provocative. Neither they nor first-time feature director Carlos Lopez Estrada can figure out a way to shape all this material into a cohesive film. Wow. Yeah. By the way, I only found out this morning when I was writing this up, David Diggs' mother is Jewish. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Like, is a white woman and is Jewish. Well, he, he looks mixed race, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. I'm white, so I can never tell the difference, Dave. So, wow. Uh, <laughs> wow. He's great. He's, yeah. uh, he does a, it's a cult pathos. Like this film is so good as well, because we get this black protagonist that at times is soft, emotional. There's a scene where he loses his room where he looks childish and weak. Mm-hmm. But then when, uh, what's the dude from... Is that the Canadian actor? No, uh, the dude from that Indian comedian. What's his name? Anyways, he's recounting the tale. That's the one you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, and then he can look hard and angry. He's got such a great... Well, this is... I mean, our recurring uh, theme here of of talking about... I'm talking about representation, right? Like, true representation is being able to see the good with the bad, right? And I think this film does a great example of that. Of like, have you ever, I'm sure there's other examples that people can point to, but how often do we see a black protagonist that gets to play these types of emotions all in the same film? I think that that's an interesting uh, approach that everyone involved with this was able to do. Yeah, and uh, we're focusing on David Diggs, but Raphael Kessel did the same thing in Inverse. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he descends like, into madness. Oh, Dave, so you good. don't understand. I mean, well, you probably feel the same way, but I mean, fundamentally, I don't think people understand how much I would need to be out of the room as soon as that person entered it. <laughs> it's like, you're too much. Yeah. You're too much of a loose cannon. I can't be around <laughs> you. <laughs> All right. So Dave, does this hold up and is it still culturally relevant? Culturally relevant for sure. I'm having so much trouble with this holding up because it's only a five-year-old movie. I think that it will hold up at least... For a few years, just on its pacing, but we are seeing so much change, uh, even in 2023, and how a movie's uh, you know supposed to look, etc. So I'm gonna put that as a 50-50. We'll see. We'll see if that holds up or not. But mm-hmm. I enjoyed watching it. I thought it was relevant. I'm a yes and yes for this. I think it's uh, it's great. It still holds up, um, and we'll see if it uh, retains that. I guess over over time, mm-hmm. but I think it will. We do need to rate this film, but before we do, that is what Dave and I thought. What do you think? You can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave vs the machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle Katie VSTM. If you want to see the entire list of films that we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our letterboxed page. That's letterboxd.com slash Katie VSTM. So Dave, if oh, you we had- forgot we forgot one thing. What's uh, two, that? two pieces: the running hallucinations and dream sequences, yeah. and then how Broadway this thing can be. <laughs> how what? Sorry, this thing's got such a Broadway vibe. Oh, in certain scenes, hundred percent it does. Yeah, <laughs> probably is also partly why I like this movie quite a bit. I love I those so. fantasy sequences. I, you know, I, I will say the graveyard scene with the ghosts. I thought played medium. I forgot about this until we're wrapping up because um, I'm thinking about how to score this. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was it was good. It was a good film. But I, we just got to put that out there so that people realize we did notice other aspects of this film as well. So. Right. Uh, Dave, out of five, what are you going to give Blind Spotting? Yeah, I, I think I'm going to, I I should pull a Kyle with the favor and call this a three just to be a dick. <laughs> but uh, no, I think I'm going to give it a probably four and a half. I... Uh, I don't think it's perfect, but it is very agitating. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go so far as a four 
because I liked 98% of this movie. So mm -hmm. yeah, let's go with a 4.5. Yeah, well, I do love this movie, so I'm giving it a full-on five, Dave. Um, yep. So, this is going to rate pretty high up on our list. Unfortunately, I cannot uh, get the list to load for some reason. <laughs> good, good. So, it's going to be in the number two or three position. We'll figure that out uh, after the show. Next time, once next Kyle time. gets his computer shit together. That's right. Uh, but we should find out what we're watching here next week. Let me push this button here. Oh, Dave, we get to do a hard pivot. This was kind of our palate cleanser before we go back to big summer blockbusters for the next few weeks. Okay. So we're going to be watching. I just looked at the spreadsheet. Yeah. We're going to be watching The Meg. The Meg. The big shark movie <laughs> with Jason Statham. That is what we are going to be watching next week. Oh, man. So, so get my the, five prepared for this. And... One of the <laughs> pod members I was in Vancouver for a week with is a marine biologist and ocean conservation documentary filmmaker. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know what movie she just made? What's that? A documentary about sharks. Of course. Did she of see course. a Meg? I doubt it. And I doubt she'd watch this film. <laughs> well. Let's get our Statham on. I'm ready. That's right. So, all right, let's get back to these ink blots here then, Dave. Okay, what do you see? Uh, racism. Okay, and what do you see? Uh, racism. Great, and one more time, what do you see? Uh, potato bug? Oh, you got it. <laughs> It's so impressive that you've proved to be even more of a loser than I thought you were.